If you're a Pilates instructor looking to learn and grow using science-based tools, the Pilates Instructor VIP membership is for you. This is a continuing education resource that includes monthly workshops, weekly research reviews, programming support, full-on classes, and so much more. Okay, you can get your seven-day free trial right now with the link in the show notes. But without further ado, let's get on to this episode. Welcome to the Evidence-Based Pilates Podcast. We are going to have an incredible time today in which we are discussing all things footwork on The Reformer, and specifically, we are going to be discussing five myths of footwork. Now, if anyone uh, knows me, you know I love to ask questions and just get to the bottom of things and allow uh, myself and those around me to have um, just a better understanding of the world around us and make more informed decisions. And this episode is uh, not to criticize or, or, or anything of that nature, but to ask uh, fair questions and to allow uh, myself and, and you, uh, the listener, to make more informed uh, decisions. Now, the five myths of footwork that we'll be discussing is one, um, that the hips need to be at 90 degrees when the springs are closed. Two, myth two will be that we need to utilize the back of our thighs during footwork. Number three, uh, that we need to uh, pull the springs in. Number four, myth number four, is that our heels need to be parallel when we are lowering and lifting. And uh, number five, myth number five is that footwork is not a squat because a, a squat is a squat. Uh, but we're going to take these one at a time, and I hope you just have fun with me and, and just enjoy the journey, the journey of learning and, and thinking. Um, and I don't require you to um, agree with me. I'm not always right, but I'm just going to pose questions, and um, we'll just see what comes out of it. Okay, let's have a conversation. So myth number one is that um, it's a common, commonly taught that your hips need to be at 90 degrees during footwork. And what I mean by that is you're laying on the reformer, your head is in the headrest, your feet are on the foot bar. And when we look at your legs, um, the femur, the thigh bone is vertical. It is straight up and down because you're at a 90 degree angle from your pelvis, um, you know, at going up towards the ceiling, straight goes your femur, and there we go. We have a beautiful right angle. And that's the thing of it, is that this is a, an aesthetic, uh, an aesthetic uh, rule that is commonly adopted. I've taught it. Oh, yeah, I have adjusted the bed. I, like, I didn't like that someone was at 104 degrees of hip flexion. I liked them at 90, so I made them get off the reformer. I moved the block, and, um, and, and I changed it. Uh, but over time, you know, you, you learn more and then, then you just, you teach differently. So here's a perspective or here's a good question to ask. So if the belief is that we need to be at 90 degrees of hip flexion, then the question would be, what happens if we don't, right? So that's a good test for any rule is what if the rule wasn't here, <laughs> right? What would happen, right? So like the rule of like an airplane is that all the doors need to be closed. 
during flight. Because if not, you get pulled out of the airplane, right? That's a good, that's a good rule, right? Keep the doors closed because you die, <laughs> right? Like that's a good rule. So then like for footwork, right? Like if you're, if you go past 90, because the concern usually isn't like that you're not at 90, it's if you're more than 90, right? So then it's like, well, what happens if you're at 95 uh, degrees? And what happens at 110 degrees of hip flexion? And if you're like, if I'm making you googly eyed with numbers and degrees, what I mean is like, what if you flex more? And that would be like, what happens if your knee goes closer to your chest? You know, like, when you sit in a low chair, or um, you sit on the floor, you garden, you squat, you know, like, um, daily activities uh, in, in your life. And so one common, like pushback to that would be that now you are posteriorly tilting your pelvis. And that's going to flex your lumbar spine. And that's bad then why is that bad? Like, why not just posteriorly tilt your pelvis? Like, what's so bad about that? Like, you're laying on your back. Like, you don't even have your body weight on your back. It's like the most relaxing position, right? Like, if you're laying on your back in bed and, like, you cross your legs and you're staring at Instagram and watching cat videos, like, you have probably more stress on your spine doing that than, like, laying down in footwork. Like, having someone in, like, slight flexion uh, is not even within the ballpark um, of concern uh, with footwork. And when I, when I say concern, I mean that they would have a musculoskeletal injury, um, you know, or, or some kind of a pathology coming down the road. Um, you know, humans just aren't that fragile. Our humans just aren't, aren't fragile in any, in, um, in any way. We are anti-fragile. And by anti-fragile, I mean that um, when stress is applied uh, to the body, our body responds by getting stronger, right? The medicine and the poison is always in the dose, okay? But with the right dose, the body will get stronger. Uh, whereas fragile is that the more you stress it, the more likely you are to break. Like the more times you hold a wine glass, the more likely it is to break. Whereas if you just left it in the cupboard forever, it wouldn't break. So um, with this, like at 90 degrees hip flexion, like I would actually say like, why the hell are we stopping at 90? Like I'm six foot one, right? For anyone who's in like a different metric system, I don't know, I'm like 180 something centimeters. I'm tall, right? So I'm the person that you look at and you're like, oh, we need to um, peg you out or, or there's other terms for that. We need to bring the stopper out a couple notches so then you fit on the reformer. I have my reformer, like when I'm in charge of me, um, I bring it in all the way. I bend it. I bend my legs all the way. I'm at like as much hip flexion and knee flexion as my joints can bend. And the reason for that is that uh, motion is lotion. And I believe in moving joints at a full range of motion and progressively loading them. And so it's interesting how we do that in other ways, right? Like, short spine, you bend a lot. Um, footwork on the Cadillac, it'd be like, you would bend past 90 degrees there. That's actually a really good one. I'm glad I came up with that. So footwork on the Cadillac, if you ever taught on a Cadillac, 
you're actually trying to flex the hip as much as possible. And you're fucking kidding yourself if you think you're in neutral there. Are you, <laughs> there's no way that's happening, right? You are, I don't mean to poo-poo this. I'm just laughing. I'm just laughing at this. Like, it's so funny because it's the same exercise, different equipment, all of a sudden different rules. Um, like the goal when, when you're doing it on the, um, on the Cadillac, right? Just to paint a picture, just in case anyone's unfamiliar, you're laying on your back, your feet are on a bar that's like above your face. Um, and then you, you press your legs up, hopefully to straight legs sometimes, not for me though. And then you bend your legs as much as you can. You try to keep your butt down, but there's no way it's happening. Um, and so the idea there is like, don't like you wouldn't stop at 90 degrees there. There's no way that's happening. So like, it's the same body, but like, because we're in a different circumstance, we give the same body different rules. It's weird. So that is, um, just a circle back to that, right? Myth number one with footwork on the reformer is that the hips need to be at 90 degrees. Now you can make your own decision. If you like it, do it. Um, I would, um, I would ask or ask you to ask yourself, what is the functional reason? Not because I like the way it looks, not because my teacher said so, not because I'm more comfortable as this, as, a, as an instructor. That's true. That's our own limitation as an instructor for the client. Why is it better for the client to bend at 90 instead of 110? And I, I can't come up with the reason for that. And I think every, any movement rule needs damn good reason, right? If we're going to restrict how someone moves, we need to have a really good reason for that. And I, 14 years into teaching a couple of degrees, um, I, I can't find a, um, a single one other than it hurts, right? Then it's like, oh, okay, well, you know, symptom modify. So that's myth number one. Um, and, and I hope that that, that got, got us thinking a little bit. Now, myth number two is use the back of your thighs, right? And I have nothing against back of the thighs. I'm not like a front of the thigh biased person, right? I work the back of my thighs all the time. I, I just don't do footwork for that. Here's a general rule. If you have to tell a muscle to turn on during an exercise, you don't have a muscle problem. It's just not a good exercise for the muscle. Like you don't, like during deadlifts, you're not like, oh, I should tell my hamstrings to turn on. Like they don't have a, they don't have a choice. Like they're turning on, like they're going to get ripped. Um, during the hundred, it's not like, oh, I should tell my rectus abdominis to flex my spine. You don't have a choice. Like you have to use it. If you have to tell a muscle to turn on during an exercise, the exercise is not good at recruiting that muscle. You have an exercise problem, not a movement problem. And this is, this kind of ties into like a psychosocial factor for the client. Like they're not doing Pilates wrong. If they can't, if their hamstrings or their glutes aren't activating during Pilates or during footwork on the Pilates reformer, it's because footwork on the Pilates reformer isn't a good hamstring or glute exercise. And a very, and when we think about this from like a very fundamental anatomical and biomechanical point of view, uh, it becomes a little bit more obvious, which is why like, like studying, uh, you know, spending like money on CECs, like, like I highly recommend to like, you'll get so much more out of learning concepts like motor learning, biomechanics, anatomy, physiology, exercise science, learning that stuff, um, rather than like, you know, 15 ways to use the foot bar or something. 
Um, nothing against the foot buyer workshops, but I just think there's really high value in concepts. And here's an example. You're on your back during footwork. Your feet are on a foot bar. So let's just say you started at 90 degrees. Like we're doing really, we're doing super good footwork, right? We're at 90 degrees hip flexion, our feet are on the bar. So we're probably, you're actually at more than 90 degrees for knee flexion. So usually like 100, 110. So we're at some good flexion, like we're bending, right? Then you push out all the way. You straighten your legs. Let's be, oh, we're going to be devious. We're going to lock the legs. We're going to use the screw home mechanism, right? We're going to lock the legs. And now just at that moment of time, right? Your legs are fully extended. You're in hip flexion. You are in hip flexion. Then you bend your legs and you're just in more hip flexion. You are never in hip extension during footwork. Now you are extending at your hips, right? A little bit, right? Maybe like 60 degrees, 50 degrees during uh, footwork, but you are like fully, well, if you do like footwork at, you know, my studio, like you're doing footwork from full knee flexion to full knee extension. You're going through full range at your knee. You're going through a very small range at your hip. As a result, like when you think of it from that perspective, why am I, why am I like trying to recruit my hip extensors in an exercise that doesn't extend my hip very much? Maybe I should choose an exercise that extends my hip more. But footwork does extend your knee. In fact, it works at a full knee range of motion if you allow it to. You would bend it, you would bend the knee all the way and straighten it all the way. The muscles that would work to extend your knee all the way would be your quadriceps on the front of your thigh. Okay. If you need, like you notice how you don't need to like squeeze your quads to do footwork. Like you don't have a choice. <laughs> if you're straightening your knee, they're working. And um, it's because footwork is designed to work your quadriceps because you extend your knee a hell of a lot more than you extend your hip. Now I'm not saying your hamstrings are dead during the exercise, right? They're still alive, they're still living tissue. They probably contract to some degree. But the reason why we don't notice our hamstrings or our glutes during footwork, unless we consciously contract them, is that um, because the, like, the angles just, they aren't, like the, the demand of the force, the angles of the forces aren't demanding on your hamstrings or your glutes. That's why they don't work, right? Then we could say, well, right? Well, what if I consciously contract and which starts, which we're going to probably blend into myth, myth number three, myth number three is pulling in the springs, right? Um, so, so with that, right, you can like, we already, we like, we recognize that, um, maybe like there's a reason why we feel our quadriceps more during footwork or why our clients do, they're not bad people. It, um, they're good people. They, the muscles are good too. It's just. Um, more demanding on the quadriceps and um, we don't really need to consciously contract muscles uh, to get, cause that's not how muscles get stronger anyway. So then there's the idea of like, well, we can pull the reformer that pull the springs in, right? There's two concepts of this one. It's factually incorrect. And then two, it would also just be inefficient uh, to attempt to do this, right? To consciously do this. So here's like a, here's an exercise. I teach this a lot with the biceps and the triceps. Okay. 
Um, but this is a share, what's called Sherrington's law of irradiation. When you consciously, like when a muscle is working really hard or when you consciously contract it, it not only recruits like the muscle you're aiming for some of the time, but uh, it also recruits neighboring muscles such as antagonists. Antagonists are muscles that do the opposite thing. When you, gen when you generate tension from an agonist and antagonist, that is the, pretty much the, the definition of movement inefficiency. Here's the thing. If you're standing, right, and you're walking, you can just, like, take a break and, like, like just um, straighten your legs and, like, hold on to what's called your quadricep tendon. If you're sitting, you can touch your quadricep tendon as we do this. If you're driving, don't do this, right? Be safe. So what that is, is your quadricep tendon is right above your kneecap, otherwise known as, okay, otherwise known as your patella. If you go higher than that, and you start to feel like squishy stuff, right, like, like where your muscles are at, okay, you'll notice that between your patella and your muscles, there's a tendon, okay, it's called your quadriceps tendon. It, it goes from your quadriceps and it goes over the patella. I won't bore you with anatomy. Now, your quadriceps and your hamstrings do the opposite thing. And when we're trying to pull the carriage in, we're trying to activate the hamstrings for some reason. Now, I want you to, con I want you to just like poke into where that tendon is. And you might miss it and you might have to poke around a couple times, but that's fine. It's underneath the muscle and it's before your patella. Okay, it'll feel soft. Now, dig your finger in there, so it's called palpating. When you palpate it, I want you to consciously squeeze your hamstrings on the backside, your hams, not your quadriceps, your hamstrings. And I want you to do your hamstrings 100%, okay? Now, if you're on the tendon and you are truly, you are truly squeezing your hamstrings all the way, like you can feel like the back of your thigh is like lighting up, because the tendons will just pop into your hand, okay? You'll notice your quadriceps tendon getting tension. That's because when you, when you uh, engage, when you consciously engage a muscle, it doesn't just engage that muscle, it engages muscles around it. And in this case, we're also engaging your quadriceps, right? Now, you may not notice a lot of tension, right? In like your rectus femoris, if you want to nerd out really quick, you're probably engaging muscles underneath it, which would be your vastus intermedialis. But anyways, uh, point is that if you're, if you're squeezing your hamstrings, you're going to be squeezing your quadriceps. That's teaching someone to move inefficiently. It's like driving with your handbrake on. So that's just like one point of like, huh, like when, that doesn't really make sense for someone to like squeeze their hamstrings, right? Um, so maybe we should just choose a better exercise where you don't have to squeeze your hamstrings. They just don't have a choice, like a bridge. Now, in terms of pulling the springs in, right, that is when you are coming in, right? So let's say we use, like, like the idea is, like, use the back of your thighs to press out. So we're squeezing the hamstrings and, like, our glutes, right? Maybe we have a glute thing where we prefer those instead of hamstrings. Fine. Um, then on the way in, the idea is like, pull the foot bar in. This is just physics on like, that's not true. Now, if the physics makes you googly eyed, here's the TLDR, the too long didn't read. 
For footwork, you push more than the spring tension to press out and you push less than the spring tension to come in. It's pushing. You push more to go out, you push less to come in. It's physics. It's not an opinion. It's physics. It's how the world works. Now, when you push out to straight legs in footwork, regardless of how you choose to do it, the springs are stretching. Okay, we're on the reformer. You push against the foot bar to straight legs. Springs are stretching. When a spring stretches, the physics of the spring is that the spring always tries to return to its center. And the, the longer the spring gets, okay, the longer the spring gets, the more tension it has, therefore the stronger it is. Okay? That's just how, um, how springs work. They always come, try to come back to its center. So if you just let go, Right. If you just let go of the foot bar, your foot slips, whatever, that carriage is going to slam in. It is going to slam in super, super fast. Bang goes the reformer. That's if you did nothing. Now, let's imagine like springs are closed. Yeah? Springs are closed, feet are on the foot bar. Now, to push something means to like um, have it like if you're pushing something with your hand, like you're pushing a door, the door is going further away from you. If you're pushing the foot bar, the fur the foot bar is going further away from you. If you're grabbing something with your hand and you're pulling it towards you, like you're pulling on the door, the door comes closer to you. You're generating a force that brings the object closer to you. That's what pulling is. Okay, you bring it closer to you. Pushing is you bring it further away from you. Now, so if you were to pull the foot bar, you'd be generating a force to bring it closer to you. You would not be generating a force to bring it further away from you. If you were going to pull the foot bar as the springs are already pulling, you would be closing the foot bar faster than the springs would do on itself. The speed would actually increase. But what actually happens is that the springs slow down, right? We resist the springs. You push out, you resist in. It's a push, okay? Now, this is an idea of like fractionating, right? I and mean, what I mean by fractionating is we nerd out because we're movement nerds. And so we go deeper, like so annoyingly deep, where it's like, why do I need to know this, right? And it's like, well, maybe you don't, right? But, but what if we did? What if we just chose to nerd out? Like we chose to nerd out and we went deeper than we ever needed to. So we, we understand this concept in such a complex way that whenever we apply it in such a simple way, it's so easy to understand because you understand it on such a deeper level that the, that, that the actual application is just like you could, you could do it while doing three other tasks. Like it's, it's, just, it's just simple, right? And that's why it's like breaking down the physics to like be like, hey, um, if, you, if, you pull the, if you pull something, if, if you are pulling the bar towards you, the vector is coming towards your head the direction of force is coming towards your head. That's the same direction of force of the spring, okay? Or, or the bed is coming in either way. You're pulling the bed in. So maybe the, the vector isn't going towards your head. Maybe the vector is going towards your feet. Either way, 
the bed, the springs are trying to close. You're adding force to the springs closing. You're not resisting it. If you're adding, uh, if you're adding force to the direction of the springs, the springs are going to get faster. It would be the force of the spring plus the force of your body. Okay. It's an additive speed too nerdy, right? Whereas if you push in the opposite direction and you push less than the spring, you just slow it down. If you're like, I'm totally confused. What'd you say again? Forget about it. Who cares? <laughs> right? So uh, you're not pulling the springs. You're pushing them. You push more to go out and you push less to come in. It, that one's just kind of physics. Uh, so with that, I hope that that's uh, helpful in, in some degree, just to get a better understanding of like, oh, I, like there's like one less thing we need to cue. Ah, oh, what a relief. You don't, we don't need to cue someone to pull the springs in. We don't need to watch to see if their hamstrings are firing on the way in. Um, rather, you can just get people moving. Okay, they're going to be okay. And so that's myth number three, was pulling the springs in. We've gone over three myths so far, three out of the five. Myth number one was hips need to be at 90 degrees when the springs are closed. Um, we talked about how, like, functionally it doesn't make much sense uh myth number two was that we needed to use the back of our thighs and then we discussed how those are hip extensors and we're not even in hip extension so maybe we need a hip extension exercise for that um and then uh why pulling the springs it doesn't it, it's actually factually incorrect it's not even really like an opinion of do we need to do it it's that we're actually not doing it um and that's that's just physics we're resisting the spring in which is a push it's a bigger push to go out, a, a smaller push to come in. Push and push. Now, the third one is um, understanding biomechanics of your talocrural and your subtalar joint, which I'll simplify for you. The myth number four is, um, is that the heels need to be parallel during lower and lift. Sometimes people call it tendon stretch, right? Or lower and lift. This is like the last bit of footwork right? So you did your footwork, warmed up, like kind of scared to do the 100 because you know it's coming. Legs are straight and you're lowering your heels into the bar and you're lifting up like you're doing a calf stretch or maybe we're like ignoring that and we're saying, no, you're not getting a calf. I don't know. Like you're lowering and you're lifting with some manner. And I've totally done this where you like, like the heels go down and we see the heels come. Like we see the heels move and then they lift up and the heels start to go together and we're like, no. And then we, we pull them apart a little bit and we're like, hey, move like this. Now, we're not necessarily hurting anyone doing that. We're, we're not harming them in any way. But I just want to like question if this is the best practice. I hope you're enjoying the podcast. My only ask of you as a listener is to leave a five-star review. Leaving a review helps this podcast grow and have a greater influence on the Pilates industry. I do this 100% for free. I do not and will never accept advertisements on this podcast. It is 100% for free. And you can go ahead and make a huge difference and allow this to grow by leaving a five-star review. Now the ankle and the foot, have, like there's like two joints in there. One's called your talocrural joint, which is a joint made up the talus. 
and the uh, tibia and fibula. It's your ankle joint. Underneath that, we have what's called your subtalar joint. And we'll just call it like the ankle and the foot. Now, the ankle and the foot are just really the ankle joint itself. Like it's, it's not a straight joint. It's on an axis. Okay? It doesn't go just straight and back, right? And so, and so you can like easily see this within your own body. Like if we're not Pilates people and we're not trying to control our movement, we're just like letting movement happen. Like if you just are like sitting in like a chair, right? You're just sitting in a chair um, or, or you can do it standing and you just flex your foot and you just let it go like where it needs to go or wherever it decides to go. You'll flex your foot. And then as you continue to flex, you're going to start to go into what's called eversion, right? At the end of your dorsiflexion, your foot is going to roll a little bit. It's going to move on a different axis. It's not just going to go forward. It's not just going to go back. It's going to turn in. Now, when you are, it's going to turn out, sorry. But when you point your toes, okay, when you point your toe, if you go to the end, right? And you just keep pointing, right? You just go like all the way. Your foot's not just going to go straight. You're going to start to supinate, right? And so with that, like the, that's just, just like a quick like demonstration. Like if we just let the body move how the body wants to move, and it's not, patho it's not pathological, like it's the shape of the joints the ankle doesn't just go straight up and down yeah? or the foot and ankle, right? The, the complexity of the foot and ankle when you dorsiflex and plantar flex, it doesn't just go straight up and down. It's on an axis. And, and there's a paper in the show notes if you want to nerd out on a biomechanical paper, it's in there. Now, now where this is important, okay, is to also recognize that the subtalar joint, which is um, the joint between your calcaneus and your talus, it's like a foot joint by your heel. Um, that's kind of like a like a joint that can like like it's a saddle joint, so it can kind of it can go in different directions, right? It can kind of wiggle. You can think of it that way. Um, and so, when with that, the heel moves. <laughs> it doesn't just kind of stay in one spot. There's a joint there. Right, it can move. Now, when you point your toes, okay, when you point your toes, the heel gets pulled in. That is absolutely normal human movement. There is nothing wrong with it. Now, it's okay if you pull it apart, right? Maybe if you were like a like like a gymnast or a ballet dancer or something that it was aesthetically more pleasing to not have the heel go in, you could train yourself to like consciously avoid that from happening. But for like 99% of the clients that come into a Pilates studio, right? Um, they're not working in an aesthetic art. Like they, they may just want to move for health. They might just want to move because they like it. They might just want to move because they have a condition going on and they want to get out of pain. They might be rehabbing an injury, whatever it is, right? With that, it would make sense to allow that human to move with typical biomechanics or, or like normal biomechanics. 
And it's biomechanically normal to allow, to have the heel or like, like to have the foot, let's say, not just go straight forward and back when you're going to full dorsiflexion and full plantar flexion. It's 100% normal. The heel is going to come in. Like notice how the heels don't ever, like, I don't want to say ever, right? But like 99% of the time, like when the heels lift up, they don't like go wider, <laughs> right? It's never that like they're like, you know how it's like, oh, you're moving wrong. Your heels are going in. So we're correcting it. That's a correction. Like we're correcting something that's incorrect. Um, so, so it's never that they're incorrect and they go out. It's like that they're incorrect and they go in. And this is one of those things that's like so freeing, like as you learn more, right? And, and, it, and it takes a certain level of curiosity and um, open-mindedness and cognitive agility and really just security within yourself that learning something new and learning something, like learning something in a new way is not a threat to you. Upgrading your knowledge is not a threat to who you are as an instructor. It's not who, a threat to who you are as a human, right? It is, it, is a, it is an opportunity to learn and to grow. And what a beautiful opportunity that is. And this is just like one example that I certainly had. And I hope that this is helpful for your own learning journey as it's the point of the podcast is just to help spread knowledge. Um, is that when, when you're lifting, when the clients are lifting their heels up during footwork, it's predictable that the heels are going to go in towards each other, right? And this is one last, this is like one last thing on your list that you have to worry about managing with your client's movement. You can just let them move. Okay? So with that, it's not that you shouldn't do lower and left or that you shouldn't move at a full range of motion or anything like that. It's just more like, oh, I, I just wouldn't worry about the heels coming in. That's it. And it's just be a moving optimist. And sometimes having like, um, you know, some knowledge of anatomy and some knowledge of biomechanics and just how, how a joint like normally moves, um, you know, if, if some movement is concerning, stuff like that, it just helps inform uh, how we facilitate movement. And in this case, have like the, the need to have the heels parallel during lower and lift is, uh, falls into the, the bucket of uh, a myth of footwork. Like you, it's not necessary to do. And so that's myth number four is that your heels have to be parallel during lower and lift. And, and myth number five, Okay. is that, um, you know, a lot of times we call footwork a squat. Footwork is not a squat. It's similar, like there's similarities, but footwork is not a squat. So footwork, you are laying on your back. I love footwork, by the way. This is not a hate on footwork session. I love footwork. I did footwork today. Oh yeah, I loved it. But it's not a squat, right? And it's just good to know, like, what am I doing? What am I not doing? What do I love about this? What do I love about footwork? What are the limitations of footwork, right? Limitations of footwork, you only have five springs. Can't go heavier than that, right? Legs can't get any stronger than five springs with footwork. That's a limitation. Now, I, I love footwork, not hating on it. So for this, footwork, you're laying on your back, your feet are on a foot bar, right? So you're, you're not weight-bearing. Squats are weight-bearing. You are, you have more compression throughout the body. you you have compression in your spine and your hips and your knees and your ankles, right? In weight bearing joints and your side joint, right? In weight bearing joints, you have compression. That, that's, that's immediately different. Okay. And sometimes that's where footwork's awesome, right? Because footwork is not compressing 
weight-bearing joints, right? So sometimes it's like, oh, that's what's awesome about footwork, right? It's not weight-bearing. That's why it feels better for some people, right? It could be less sensitive for someone with low back pain, right? If, they're, if, if, for, if they have a lot of sensitivity and like compression with squats is sensitive at this time, maybe footwork will feel better today. Awesome. But it's not a squat. It, but there are similarities, right? You're bending and straightening your legs. Absolutely, that's similar to a squat, but it's not a squat. So for example, especially if you're doing like, if we are doing 90, 90 degree hip flexion footwork, uh, like squats typically go well beneath 90 degrees, like astagras, you know, is like one way of saying it. So that's like full hip and knee flexion, right? But some people stop at 90 for whatever reason. When you descend in a squat, assuming we're going lower than 90 degrees, okay, the one thing that happens is that you get a posterior tilt of the pelvis. That doesn't happen in footwork. That, like, that kinematic doesn't happen. That movement doesn't happen. As we're posteriorly tilting the pelvis, you also get significant spinal flexion, right? We can't even see the flexion in the lumbar spine before 35 degrees. Okay. And now like when we see it, it's well past 35 degrees. Cause you got to remember lumbar spine starts in extension. Lumbar flexion is it just like your when your lumbar spine is flat, you're generally in flexion, right? assuming that you have a lordosis. Then if you actually flex the lumbar spine, actually looks round, that's way more flexion because you started from extension. Footwork. So, so far with footwork, it's not weight-bearing, and we generally keep the pelvis and the lumbar spine still, right? We could even say that it's a neutral, right? I'm totally cool with that. That's not the case with squatting. Squatting, you, you, you tilt the pelvis, your lumbar spine flexes, and you're weight-bearing. They're different activities. Now, in addition, in squats, it is normal, okay? It is normal in a squat for the trunk to hinge forward, okay? It helps out with your center of mass. Okay? Your, your trunk hinges forward totally normal. Now, I know that if we do like our Pilates squat and we, we hold onto the springs and um, like we're standing, we're holding onto springs that are in front of you, you can be in a flat back. That's, that's fine, right? It's healthy movement, nothing wrong with that. Uh, but this does, that, that changes, like, like if you didn't have the springs in your hands, you would fall right? Like no one squats like that because uh, you fall. So when, you, when you're squatting, you hip hinge, right? You go forward. You do it without thinking about it because your body's super smart and it knows how not to fall and die. Uh, I mean, you wouldn't die. I'm being dramatic, but, you, but it knows how not to fall forward, right? So you go down. So now footwork can be similar, right? But footwork's not that. Footwork, your spine's not moving in footwork. Your spine's just, it's there. You're moving your legs, right? You're moving your legs in footwork, and you're actually not even, you're not moving your legs as much as you would in a squat because in a squat, you go all the way to like full extension at the knees. You, you go into like anatomical neutral at the hip, which you don't do, uh, by the way, in footwork. That's another one, right? You don't go to full um, hip neutral or is full hip neutral a term? You don't go to neutral on your hip. <laughs> We're just standing at like zero degrees. So here's some differences between a squat and footwork, right? Why they're, they're just not the same thing. Footwork, non-weight bearing. We, do, we definitely don't extend the hip all the way. You probably don't flex as much as you do in a squat. 
footwork, you keep the pelvis and the spine relatively still, we can call it neutral. Okay. Whereas in a squat, you are weight bearing, meaning your weight is bearing on your joints. You, um, you pelvis, you, you tilt your pelvis. Okay. You do a posterior tilt. You definitely go into lumbar flexion. You, you hinge forward. So, you, so as you are going down, your trunk hinges forward. Now, if I was working with older adults, kind of like an easy one, right? Like we're rehabbing, like, or we're, we're strengthening up an 85 year old um, individual who wants to maintain independence. They notice they're having a hard time getting out of a chair, right? That's a squat, right? It's a sit to stand, getting out of a chair. Like they're having a hard time doing it. They don't want to go into assisted living, right? You know what I'm going to do with them in a Pilates studio? I'm going to do footwork. Yeah, at first, I'm not going to stop there, right? Because that footwork can build me up to a squat. But just having that person do footwork and never doing a squat is an absolute disservice to them because their goal is to get up out of a chair. In order to get up out of a chair, you know what you need to practice? Getting up out of a chair. And footwork, it's, no, it's just not the same thing. It can be something that's really helpful to do, right? Just like other strengthening exercises, it's awesome. Like put that in your program. Put that in your like, let's get you out of a chair program. But you eventually have, you have to get them vertical, right? That's, the, that's just the law of specificity. You have to get them vertical. Okay? A squat is a squat. Footwork is footwork. Squat is a squat. Footwork can help you with the squat, but footwork is not a squat. Okay. In order to get to get like our 85 year old adult ready to like do 10 sit to stands, right? You can get up and out of a chair 10 times without getting winded, without getting fatigued in the legs. You can do it. Footwork might be part of that journey, but you have to practice squats with them because nothing's going to prepare them better for the task than the task itself. And with that, that is why I suggest that calling footwork a squat is a myth because it does not have the same kinematics nor the same uh, physical demands as a squat. But I love footwork. I'm not hating on footwork. Even though I made an episode called The Five Myths of Footwork, let this be like a footwork-freeing episode that you can just do footwork and freaking love it because we had five myths that we talked about today that the hips are at 90 degrees. Uh, that was myth number one. Myth number two was that we needed to use the back of the thighs uh, we needed to recruit them somehow. And then myth number three was about the idea of needing to pull the springs in. Myth number four was discussing um, the heels uh, needing to be parallel when you're lowering and lifting, as that's not how the foot and ankle complex works. And um, myth number five was that footwork is not a squat. And just one uh, last time, I love footwork. I'm doing footwork right after this. I should have done footwork the whole episode. Um, so I hope that this episode is something that is freeing, that, that there can be less rules and just more movement and not in a reckless way, but in an informed manner that you are like evidence informed, that you understand the biomechanics and the anatomy and the musculature of what's going on in footwork, how it's helpful, where its limitations are, and that you can make an informed decision for your clients because that's what this is about. This is about giving your clients the best possible session. Uh, it has been an absolute pleasure to hang out with you again here on the Evidence-Based Pilates Podcast. And until next time, have an incredible 
rest of your day. 